I'm starting to realize and what I'm starting to, to do more of, I, obviously I knew this, but we're starting to see like what physical buckets can we fill? And then how does that affect some of the technical things that show up? So very James Wild, like where I would read James' stuff and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I don't need to do a thousand drills. Some of these technical things will be cleaned up with some physical buckets. Welcome to the Pacey Performance Podcast, the podcast that dives into the philosophies, ideas, and practices of some of the best practitioners in high-performance sport. Les Spellman is on the podcast for the second time, partly because he's going to tease us with some information that he's going to deliver in Leeds uh, in March at the Sportsmith Speed Conference. So we have a little chat firstly around his combine prep. So Les, and this is maybe just my perception, but he's very well known for having his athletes for a short period of time and making a real impact. But what he's going to deliver in Leeds and what he talks a little bit about in the second half of this episode is when you've got uh, athletes for a longer period of time, whether you're in a, in a team or you've got private athletes on longer, longer-term commitments. So creating a speed system is what we talk about in the second half of this episode. So as well as isometrics, assessments, low-velocity profiling, force-velocity profiling, Les, as always, brings it all. So this is a, an incredible episode with a guy that I admire massively for what he's done. Um, but I'm going to leave it to Les, let him do the talking. I hope you enjoy. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Hytro. Have you ever tried blood flow restriction for recovery? Hytro has developed the world's first BFR wearable, unlocking the recovery benefits of BFR to support athletes. BFR is no longer just for one-on-one physio or rehab. Hytro allows teams to use this safe and scalable sports BFR device post-exercise to dramatically enhance recovery. So whether in the changing room post-game, during away game travel, in the hotel or at home, Hytro has created a simple and effective tool to allow BFR to be delivered to athletes and squads simultaneously, safely and more conveniently than ever before. Check them out at hytro.com or email Warren on warren at hytro.com to find out how Hytro BFR can give your athletes a competitive edge. Also sponsoring this episode is Rewire Fitness. Mental fitness is quickly becoming a hot topic in our industry, as we've found on recent episodes of the podcast. But what are you doing to develop the mental fitness of your athletes? Rewire Fitness is a mental fitness platform that helps athletes reach their full potential and avoid burnout by providing integrated tools to holistically improve readiness, recovery, and resilience. Their patented technology features protocols from neuroscience, psychology, physiology, and beyond providing a holistic approach to human performance. So Rewire has been backed by some of the biggest names in sport like Under Armour, who invested in their first investment round, and Kyle Korver, NBA All-Star who spent 17 seasons in the league. Make mental wellness and cognitive performance a priority amongst your athletes today. And to learn more, to set up a demo, head to rewirefitness.app forward slash Pacey. That's P-A-C-E-Y. And this episode is also sponsored by Hawking Dynamics. Hawking Dynamics is the world's first wireless force plate testing system. 
The Hocking Dynamics system is built for coaches to test in the real world, not just in the lab. Capture reliable data on all your athletes in a matter of minutes and monitor their progress in the cloud from anywhere in the world. The Hocking Dynamics force plates are wireless, portable and trusted by teams at every level of sport. Integrating force plates into your athlete monitoring program has never been easier or more affordable. If you want to see the Hawking Dynamics force plate system in action, head over to their website hawkingdynamics.com to schedule a demo or follow them on Twitter at Hawking Dynamics. So without further ado, over to the episode with Les. Les Fellman, welcome back to the Pace of Performance podcast. As always, it's an absolute pleasure. I love being on these. Like this is this is my favorite place, man. It's your voice. It's your voice. It just gets me. Is it? It's, that's what it no is. No one's. Not many people say that. Less. It's your voice. Yeah. <laughs> no, thank yeah. you. Appreciate that. I appreciate that. Before we get into the the meat of the conversation, have a little chat about your background and things like that. I'm super excited, and I've said this to you before. So, um, but I'll say it to you again. Super excited to get you over to the UK in March, on March 25th, March 26th for the Sportsmith Speed Conference, which yeah. is already getting tickets sold. So it's already going down a dream, getting you over Alex Natera, Ryan Grubbs, Jonas Dodu, et cetera, et cetera. So really excited to meet you in person because there's not many times I get a chance to actually meet podcast guests in person. So yeah, really excited yeah. to get you I'm excited too, man. I, I feel humbled to be with those guys. I'm actually excited just to go to listen and i got a free ticket to go so i appreciate it <laughs> thank you <laughs> absolutely It'd be a pleasure to have you right mate so a little bit of background i know you've been on before and we've gone through it but a brief if there's any updates on your side the cap the cap says that there is a little bit of an update so i'd like to get some oh yeah info on that. yeah, yeah. Oh, over I, to I, you mate yeah so like i won't go through the whole thing um like on the other podcast i basically talked about how I had a life-threatening um, car accident that left me with a metal leg, which led me down an entire path of like discovery of learning how to run, running division one, and then eventually becoming a coach. And I kind of walked into coaching by accident because I, I really wanted to become an Olympic athlete. And I got cut from the program and I got asked to come coach with that same program. And the whole time I'm thinking I'm going back to, to playing and I ended up just beginning my career. So I started in the Olympic space, made no money, slept on like dirty mattresses. And basically I was like, I got, I got to find a way to, to, to make some money. And I got into NFL combine training, uh, NFL offseason training. And really that's what, what gave me, um, kind of launched my more professional career where I was making money and, and coaching at a higher level. Um, so I started developing systems, had some success. Past couple of years, we've had about 50% of the top three picks go in the NFL draft um, and, and some of the best performances at the NFL draft. They, they come out with this thing, um, you know, they, they rank facilities, which I think is whatever, but we're, we're, we always aim to be in the top in, in, in something called the relative athletic score, which is just a, a total score of athleticism from the combine. Now, some of that's like you're going to recruit guys that are good. Some of that's like um, there, but we know kind of where guys start and where they finish. Um, so yeah, it's, it, you know, it's been, it's been something I poured my heart into. So just recently this past year, we signed an exclusive deal with Vayner sports. And if you're not, if you're listening, you don't know who Vayner, the last name Vayner is, it's short for Vaynerchuk. Gary Vaynerchuk was, is an incredible entrepreneur. He's one of the early investors into Facebook and Instagram and 
uh, Uber. It, they took the first Uber ride, uh, Venmo, those types of things. And I was obsessed with Gary Vaynerchuk uh, podcast. And sorry, I, Pacey isn't the only one I listen to. I hate, I I hate to admit it. I hate to admit it. <laughs> <laughs> you went yeah. all quiet then. I love it. I Carry hate on. to admit it. But, um, <laughs> but yeah, so we, I started listening to Gary and I was obsessed with just his model of how he did media and how he portrayed things. Like he would go into depth about, you know, filming as much as you can, you know, repurposing it across multiple platforms, using um, Twitter, Facebook, Snapchat, like everything. And I, I, I basically adopted his model. And then Drew came on and Drew was all about his model as well. And we implemented the strategy and it helped our business a ton. So it was like a goal of ours to have some type of Vayner connection. And we finally got that to happen. Um, you know, and now we work with Vayner, not exclusively completely but for combine training um pretty much exclusively outside of a, a few quarterbacks so it's a relationship that's really important to me and it's been uh it's been pretty cool and then so they the, yeah go mate carry on no no, no that's i was just gonna say and and i'm a i'm a dad of a two-year-old now so i'm a little bit more stressed out than the last time we spoke <laughs> <laughs> mate i'm in the thick of it i've mentioned it a few times i've got an 18 month old so yeah it's uh yeah, we'll chat about that in March, no doubt. But so, so Vayner Sports have got uh, who represent athletes, and those athletes come to you. Yeah, yeah. Okay. So nice. last year we had with Vayner, there was two guys in the top five, um, two two guys in the top ten. Sorry, in the NFL draft. But last year I had like forty. I think I had forty guys, and I had eighteen drafted. It was it was insane. Like no no, while that was really cool and really good. Um, it was hard. And I was like, you know what, like and there's 20 different agents that I'm speaking to every week. So when they offered like an exclusive, um, I was like, cool, like <laughs> simplifies my life. I'm a dad trying to spend more time at home. And I really like what they're building because I like what they're offering the athletes and it's more than just sports. So yeah, it's, it's been cool. Nice. I think we could do a podcast on the business side. Cause I'd love to I'd love to pick your brain about the way you do things, but we'll go. We'll we'll leave that for another time. We'll for leave sure. that in March um, after the conference. But um, so the combine prep. Talk to us about the program. I mean, I always try, well. I'm happy to show my naivety when it comes to when it comes to the combine and and American football. Um, so I'm happy to be to be definitely schooled here. Um, talk to us about the program. What it looks like. How you put it together the amount of athletes, how you're managing those. I'd love to get a bit of an insight. Yeah, well, I'll, I'll give some context first. So essentially what happens is guys finish their college football season either late December or early January. So like we had two guys that played in the national championship, which means they, they don't finish until January 9. So after they finish, they sign with an agent. And then that agent basically pays for their housing, their food, their medical, their training, a stipend, a car, like everything they need until the NFL draft. And then what happens is that agent, after they sign the guy, will typically call me and say, hey, I have a guy that wants to come train with you. And then they show up like two days later. So the 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 process in the past was like 20, 30 different agents calling, and, and that would kind of be logistically a nightmare. Uh, whereas this year, it's just one. But essentially what happens is once they sign – um, they come in, we go through medical. Most guys are beat up. Most guys are coming from a grueling season. Um, most guys haven't like fully sprint or fully done anything like crazy athletic outside of playing a game. Um, 
because you know the last couple of games of the season are are, are grind like you're, you're tapping into the your reservoir or whatever you built you know in the off season at that point so we go through medical once they're cleared um green yellow red green full yellow partial like and typically partial will be like um plan b type exercises plan b type things or or red like they can't actually go on the field um then we'll go through our assessments so our first assessment that we do is force plate. We use Hawken Dynamics. Um, we'll go through CMJ and a rebound jump. Our second test is Alex Natera's um, isometric test, which is which has been like insane for us. Like, so man, which that, which test is it, Les? Uh, the ankle, knee, and the hip ISO test. Man, I like. It took me a while to get through the course because Alex is so so smart. I just feel like I'm not. I'm like, I'm taking all these notes and I still don't get it. But it's Mate, wonder how I feel. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> but in reality, it's actually it's actually relatively simple. So that's like that's where we start. Now, I used to write these like crazy programs before every guy got there. But now I have ten guys. Actually, no, I have eleven guys. So it's actually relatively easy after that medical the the Hawking jumps and the force plate in the force test, like the ISO test. To then start looking at okay, what what are we actually looking at for for programming? Now I have a shell, I have an idea when it comes down to um, how much volume I'm going to push each week. What what's the intensity? What are the fly zones for velocities? Like um, how much time I'm going to spend on starts? All that like I know that stuff, but when it comes down to the meat and the potatoes of the program, it's really from those first couple of days where where we where we dive in. Um, now, how how deep do you want me to go on that one question? Because I can... Yeah, no, no, no. I've got a couple of follow-up questions, if that's all Perfect. right. And that'll, okay, that'll yeah. probably lead us down a few tracks. The ISO, because you were so, enth- were so enthusiastic about the ankle, knee, hip, ISO tests. Talk to us about how that, what that tells you and how that informs step two, three, four, five. Yeah, so like, I I just got force plates um, this year. So I... I, I knew about force plates because working with schools and interpreting some of the data, but, um, you know, first it's, it's like night and day difference in terms of being able to, Oh, my lights went off. Talk about night and day. Yeah. Oh my goodness. How does it... There we go. <laughs> um, it's night and day difference. Um, looking at like a number of things, but with the, with the force plates, we were able to do the ISO test on the ankle, knee and the hip. So the first thing that tells us, is which of those three is, is either underperforming or is becoming more dominant to, to make up for a weakness somewhere else. So we know that the force is distributed from the hip or, or really the power starts at the hip and then distributed to the ground through the ankle and the knee will take a lot of that at full support. So we're seeing just like, what are some running styles that, that are happening as a result of weaknesses that show up in these tests? Um, I would say like me coaching five years ago, it was like all this technical stuff and like me talking a lot. And uh, I, I burnt out because, well, number one, I didn't have good performances. Um, well, I would say five years ago I did, six years ago. Five years ago, I started to be like, well, I'm talking too much and maybe I should just stop talking and I had better performances. So I'm like, there's something to it. But now I'm looking at it from the physical lens first is what physical buckets may not be filled and how can I identify those? So the, the Alex Natera ISO tests allow me a lens into that and seeing like, okay, we know they run crazy and weird, but is it showing up on this test? And if it is, 
well, let's improve that quality for that athlete. And, and that's what it allowed us to do relatively quickly, even before we, we tested them or had them run a 40 or anything like that. Uh, so it's been super helpful. You're setting me right up here because the third cohort of the course launches on the 1st of February. Oh, yeah. I didn't even, I didn't even prep you for that. So thank no you way. for that. Yeah. We've got some additional co- uh, course content from other people as well. So that'll that's that's going live but i'm so I'm, happy, I'm so happy to hear that you went through it and it's it's guided some of your some of your uh, assessments but how long i think one thing that may put people off especially when you're doing ankle knee and hip i know you've only got 10 guys when previously that might have been 20 30 40 how long is the process to put the guys through that them three assessments um like we i mean six minutes like when we because we don't do them we didn't do them all at once like like weight room, uh, you know, A1 is a hang high pull, A2, uh, ankle iso test, you know, next day, you know what I mean? Like it was yeah, just, yeah. it was just part of the training. Cause like essentially like we, we never really made it like, Hey, we're testing. It's just like, Hey, do this real quick. Like dive in, push hard. No, nah, it wasn't hard enough. Okay. Come back next round. We'll push harder. Like it just became a part of the, the training block. And like the other thing that's, that's important to know this year is like, I, volunteered to be the assistant strength coach in the in the combine program because I you know every year I kind of was on the field and then I, I went and I spent the rest of the day in the lab looking at video and like I'm like I'm not doing that this year like I'm gonna I'm gonna dive in and I'm gonna be a part of it all so I'm in charge of the ISO programs uh, and, and also CC so we either do it before to potentiate or we did it a part of the of the of the training block and it worked fine um, no, the problem, obviously the limiting factor is if you have one force plate or if you, you know, things like that. But, um, the thing is that we realize is like, you can still do the training, like you could still do the training and, and everything you do training from a training perspective is going to help them improve. So even if you didn't have the force plate and you just had them push and you looked at it, or you just had them do the training, like they're going to improve a ton. But having the force plate numbers is like massive. Like where have we... I'll send it to you. The asymmetries, left and right. Um, like when I when I tested myself, this is the craziest thing. Is like I have a metal femur, so hip to knee. When I did my knee test on my left side, it was producing fifty percent less forces than my right side. Now I trained for the past three weeks. It's now down to twenty five percent imbalance. I'm like, how is that possible? I've I've been working on my left side for years, never implemented isometrics. All of a sudden boom it's back so yeah it's it's crazy it's crazy how fast it works can we have a hypothetical athlete just to to finish this kind of little section on the isos so if (coughs) excuse me so if you were testing them and you have benchmarks that you've established with your guys and someone was clearly down on the, the hip for example how would you attack that just so people can kind of get into your mind with how you look at those numbers and then kind of what comes after. Yeah. Like, to be honest, like we kind of attack every, like with all the guys, we kind of all do the same training. Like there's not much, there's not much difference. Like we still have our ankle knee and hip blocks throughout the week. Um, Like we'll do ankle, we'll do ankle and knee on Monday. We'll do hip on Thursday. What we do is on Saturday, it's our individual day. We'll just double up on the weakness. Um, so we'll come back and we'll do, we'll pick one ISO for that Saturday because we're moving fast. We have a lot to do. So if a guy's poor in the hip, we just hit hip again. If he's poor in the ankle, we hit ankle again. We just find the, the limiting factor uh, and then hit it, hit it one more time. 
that's the way we've seen it work the best just because individualizing even with 10 guys is tough like but the the main thing is is like like we, we said we have one guy for example he, he's super poor and then he iso um and he had an imbalance now when he ran he, he's got very poor stiffness like he compresses like a spring so he hits the ground he compresses like his body drops it, it like it literally you see the sinking action so we improved his knee ISO by about 8% and his contact times improved. His speeds improved. He was running with a taller hip. So like th- those are the types of case studies that we've been able to capture um, with the ISOs. So in your, in, in Spelman performance, who's taking the gym side of things? Who's taking the weight room side that you are assisting in now? Yeah. So, so Taylor Ramsey, um, he's, he's worked with everyone from Aaron Donald, like, He's a man. He's just not like active on social media. We should have him on here. He's like he's a VB, VBT like he's unbelievable with the VBT side of things. So like I've been diving and learning more about the VBT and its effect on our guys running. Um, it's been huge. So why did you think it was so important for you to have that input as an assistant strength coach in the weight room? How and how has that affected how you go about things on the field? Yeah, like so I I. It really happened when I was working with rugby um, because it, basically the way we were set up at the Olympic Training Center was like the weight room was so far removed from the field that a lot of the field stuff I did made me not be in the weight room. So like it just kept missing time, missing time. And I was like, man, like I, I don't know what's going on in there. But as I developed as a coach, I just got more and more comfortable in field-based stuff and I was in the weight room less and less and less. Um, and then, you know, I obviously bought a gym and started going through that stuff and I was doing both for a while. And then when I came up to sports Academy, it was actually Mamba at the time. It was kind of the same scenario where I was removed from the weight room. So then I was just like, I feel more confident in this space and like, I know what I'm doing and I'll just trust other people to do their thing. And I didn't want to step on anyone's toes. Um, but over the years, what happened was, is like so much developed in the weight room from when I had been in the weight room that I felt really far behind and I felt like I wasn't even able or adequate. Like I couldn't be the weight room guy if I wanted to at this point, like not at a high level at least. And I hadn't dived into the VBT side. I hadn't dived into the force plates. I hadn't dived into like the new things that were happening. Um, so I wanted to just learn. So I put myself through it and I wanted to see, um, but what I'm, what I'm starting to realize and what I'm starting to, to do more of, I, obviously I knew this, but, we're starting to see like what physical buckets can we fill and then how does that affect some of the technical things that show up? So very James wild, like, or I would read James' stuff and I was like, wow, this is amazing. Like I don't need to do a thousand drills. Some of these physical things will be cleaned up. Sorry. Some of these technical things will be cleaned up with some physical bucket, um, you know, physical buckets, like, you know, the use of eccentrics, the use of VBT, the use of ISOs, like, Finding out like where can I where can I get the biggest bang for the buck? But the second thing is just like also from a cultural standpoint. So imagine like if I'm with you know the, all these draft picks and I only come to the field, I don't come see them in the weight room. I don't see where some of them might be strong, some of them might be confident in the weight room. I might see another side of them that I can pull and draw on when I'm coaching them. It's like hey, remember that movement we did in the weight room? I want you to feel like that, right? I I want you to you know what I mean. Um, so we started to, to, we started to really look at those things and, and, and see like, 
even look at our accessories, like where could we replace that accessory with the ISO or where could we add something in or where can we put um, like, oh my God, I'm going to ramble about this, but here I go. So go for it. We, we ended up, we ended up splitting our speed session into two sessions in a day. Now it sounds crazy, but it's actually not because it's the same amount of time. So if I take a 90 minute session, like what I was doing is like, why it was 90 minutes? Because I run my mouth, I start talking. And I, when I talk, I like interfere and I mess things up. And then when I mess them up, I'm like, oh, I got to bring them back. You know, so that process takes 30 minutes or so. So what I started to do is I started looking at my acceleration session. What is my goal of acceleration? Is I, I want to be able to project the body. I want to be able to switch. I want to be able to hit the ground really hard and aggressively climb in speed. Now, I need to be able to have them execute this skill without me. So the first session of the day on Monday is an acceleration session that's like basically resisted runs. It starts, it's a couple time sprints, it's a couple of jumps, a couple of med ball throws, and then we're done, 60 minutes. Take a break, we go to the film room, then I run my mouth. I'm like, okay, I can talk here. So I go through and everybody takes notes. Here was the goal for the day that we talked about. Here's where you're at. Okay, we need to improve. Now, after that film session, we go back on the field. And on that field session, we do a technical session. But what, what the way that I do is we do some starts, because obviously the starts are really important for the 40. So do some starts, get out. Um, but then I have something called force power and velocity blocks. So my force block, I'm going to do all those like all those technical things that I was trying to get them to do, like banded one-step repeats or like the, you know, the banded sled drives with the hip, hip drive or a med ball, med ball throw to start. Like things that are like, yeah, the intensity might climb moderately, but it's nowhere near as, as high as like what I had them do in the morning, which might have been 20s or 30s, or it, you know, if it could be chain sprints or 1080 sprints. Like it could be those things that are really physical capacity, but the force block is really technical capacities based around producing forces at the start. And, and when I break that up, that, it, that 90 minutes became separated by 60 and 30. And then I go right to the weight room I had a much better transfer of the skill than I than I did if I was just had one ninety minute block. Um, so yeah, it's it's been huge for us. Interesting. So you've gone through the the some examples of the force, one of the three. What does the power and the velocity? What do their yeah. buckets look like? So the power and it's very similar. Um, I drew a lot of inspiration from from Jonas and Ryan on the on their uh, projection switching and reactivity. So I think the the power is is more of like just think of it as like the middle of the of the run. So after the start and climbing to velocity, what qualities do you need? So I might have bounding in there. I might have um, resisted bounding. I might have repeat hops, like a triple broad jump in there. Um, so that they're they're qualities that require you to produce power. It's not as reactive. It's not like a a depth drop to a jump or anything like that. But it's it's qualities that that require. Um, like a, a moderate contact time, it, it, it's repeat, rebound type things. Um, and then in that session, we do a little bit of starts, but we'll actually carry the start out longer. So we'll do a, like a seven-step acceleration versus a four-step acceleration. Or we'll do transition stuff working on the torso and that power block. Now, the, the velocity block is very reactive. It's all contact time. So on that one, we, we might do like the box switches. We might We might do... Um, reactive, reactive hops, reactive pogos, depth drop to a jump, to depth drop to a hurdle jump, um, single leg reactive stuff. Like 
um, that, that becomes like a very like velocity dominant um, block of, of time. So when we split them like that, like I don't have to spend all that time teaching in the morning. It's just get the output and then go. Now there are times like the first, the first two weeks, we, we actually, we did have 90 minute sessions. It, it, you know what I mean? As we go into phase two, we start splitting and we start, we start really seeing those qualities improve over time. I know you've pre-answered this question already, but on the individualization side of things, even with 10 or 11 guys, how much is different in them, the force, power and velocity type stuff that you've just explained? Yeah, so actually phase phase two is, is everyone's the same. Like we, we train uh, speed Monday, Thursday, Saturday. Everybody does the same. But what happens is after, after phase two, we'll actually go you'll have one force block, you'll have one velocity block, and then the power block is either gonna be force or velocity dominant. So like you could do your your force stuff on Monday, your velocity stuff Thursday. When you get to Saturday, because you're, you're also doing your individual ISOs, you might have more like force base or start, like basically start potentiation type stuff, or you might have more like velocity potentiation type stuff. Uh, and it's the same, weight room kind of follows the same same trend. Uh, we have certain athletes that need to work more uh, on the velocity side, more of the velocity-based power, and there's guys that are still getting stronger and, and working on uh, the force-based side. So it, it all follows the same trend and, and same and same style when we get into the phase three. Again, just hitting on a point that you made about, about James's stuff, James Wilde's stuff, about the technical issues cleaned up with the physical stuff. Would you, can you give us any examples there that you've maybe seen out there in the on the yeah. field that where that happens? Yeah, a, a huge one. I'd say the the biggest one that I usually see get cleaned up relatively quickly is like hip extension. Or you, if you want to get technical, like hip extension velocity. So like, how fast does that hip extend, and how powerful? Or you could say hip projection. So most football athletes have poor hip projection in the first couple steps meaning like they don't they don't displace themselves forward like they don't they don't get forward they 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 like to spin really fast like they're cycling their legs really fast at the start and they don't go anywhere it took four steps and four yards now when we do the isos on especially the hip the hip iso like sometimes you do a lunge iso like very uh what's that guy's name adam archuleta's jay schroeder like, okay, yeah, 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 like where he did like the long, like we we actually we actually love that ISO. We don't do it five minutes or anything, but doing some long extended ISOs, it cleans it up relatively quickly. And what we've noticed is that guys are getting very, very, very good projection from cleaning up that physical quality, um, doing the ISOs or doing some weight room work, um, because a lot of them like they actually have the strength, but they never felt that, and and being able to get them in that like in that position where they're producing force a little bit longer than they're used to, like it's been, it's been incredibly helpful. So that's one thing that cleans up. Another thing we mentioned the knee um, on the stiffness side, like my biggest thing this year is looking at um, how much hip um, negative displacement they have. So like, does their hip drop in max velocity and how do I fix that? Cause that's a huge limiting factor to running extremely high velocities and most football players do not have um, good stiffness. And really because like, number one, they're wearing pads all the time, 12 pounds. They're running on soft surfaces. 
and they very rarely will build up to high, high, high speeds. Like versus track, you're running on a hard surface in spikes. You're running full efforts multiple times a week. Like you don't get that in football. So when they come to us and we're, and we're putting them in that, that environment where it's very fast, very high hip, um, it, it's difficult. The ISOs clean it up a lot. So it, it allows them to, to have a higher hip because when they attack the ground, they have less depression of, of the knee, less decompression, and um, they can carry a higher hip throughout. So like we've been looking at all the reports and week one versus week three, we're seeing a higher hip and in max velocity on during that contact phase. Um, another one, oh, I, damn, I, I was going to say one and here I am saying all Keep three. Keep going. But, um, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, the, the ankle ISO, it's been huge. This is crazy. This is this is an advertisement for the ISO course. This, <laughs> but keep it I going. No, I didn't. I didn't mean it. I didn't mean for it to be that, but it's it's been no, super fine. helpful. So no, me so. Um, ankle is huge. A lot of the guys tape their ankles in college football, so they don't have very good plantar flexion uh, or dorsiflexion. Um, so when they get into when they get into the positions like where they're trying to attack with a stiff ankle, they struggle. And they also struggle, um, and this is more Randy Huntington type stuff, like on the push-off with, with the aggressive uh, push-off. And I was, re- I was listening to a, a Randy Huntington podcast. Like, and if you don't know Randy Huntington, he, he trained Sue at, in China. He trained him, which, which is amazing, from like a 10-3, 10-4 to a, a 9-whatever. I don't know what it is. But um, Sue has probably the fastest frequency of all time. Like he can spin really fast. Not great. Um, step length or anything, but he's also five six and a Chinese sprinter. So, but Randy always talked about the plantar flexion velocity at, at toe off, and, and I was like, I don't know what that means. Like, but when we did the ISOs, I noticed the guy's ability to increase the. I, I don't know how, but it worked right. So the contact times got faster as as we're going. Um, the contact times got more consistent as we're going, and then we saw less depression at the ankle like like we were seeing a lot of guys hit the ground and just their ankle would just collapse and and their foot would just collapse versus now they're hitting at a better position and they can manage that that isometric because really when you're you hit the ground the ankle is is locked in that position while your hip and knee move over it and and if your ankle doesn't have the ability to withstand those forces it's going to drop and it's going to it's going to dissipate power so like using Alex Natera's measure of like two point six body two point six times body weight, um, like if the ankle can't produce two point six times the body weight on that test, we're looking at guys and looking at their contact times and seeing well it checks out when we do this, and as it improved, the contact times improved. Don't know the science behind it, so don't ask me, but it worked, and that's all I cared about, you know, when I'm when I'm going through it. So. So how are you doing those assessments? Are you using video or just video? Or are you using other tools as well? Yeah, we, we use Jonas's uh, ViewMotion, actually, um, his, his system of Speedworks. And, like, we, we, typically, um, we typically did it by hand. Like, I used to use Kenovia for a while. I'm just giving out free advertising today. <laughs> <laughs> but, uh, but, yeah, we, we use Jonas's, and it was, it's, been, it's been great. I got, honestly, it's, it's saved me a lot of time as a coach and made me a better dad because I'm at home. Um, and I'm not looking at video reports all day so i think you can use it forever however you want to use it like i have my own way of looking at things i think every coach does and a lot of coaches are um 
a little afraid to like use someone else's system and but Jonas and I have always been good friends and um you know so we use that so that gives us everything we needed and we just pumped that into a dashboard and we're able to see the ISO test versus you know the kinematic stuff it's been awesome so exciting I was speaking to him the other day actually and just telling me he was telling me about the the kind of vision for it and and whatnot and it sounds yeah super exciting it's great yeah it's 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 really cool because a lot of people in this industry um almost almost get offended like when guys come up with stuff and it's like our industry is very slow the speed world not necessarily the strength i don't know i i couldn't speak for the strength but the speed world is very slow to adopt things and everyone's skeptical versus like being like hey like let me try it and let me give you some feedback and help you grow it so i can go grow, grow my thing and hit you up and be like what do you think you know and reach across the pond and guys need to do that more. So it's that's a Jonas and I have always done. So it's been great. So we're just going to take a very quick break in the chat with Les. Hope you enjoyed part one. So over in part two, we have a little chat around creating a long-term speed system. Something that Les has done with various different colleges over in the US with soccer teams, with American football teams. So it's a really interesting bit of a teaser for what Les is going to speak about at the Sportsmith Speed Conference in March. So really interesting, part two coming up. This episode of the Pacey Performance Podcast is sponsored by Play. Play is the leader in high-performance athletic flooring and strength equipment globally. So with offices in the US, Australia and the UK, Play provides an end-to-end experience by collaborating with organisations through their own proprietary formula to create world-class environments for coaches and athletes. Play's Achieve 18mm Rubber and Attack Turf have been at the cornerstone of elite training facilities for now over a decade, with the addition of the new Icon X rack range. Play are once again set to elevate the industry. On the 23rd of April 2022, Play will be hosting their first UK lab of the year in collaboration with Loughborough University. Play will be joined by some exceptional speakers from elite sport, industry and academia with a huge breadth of knowledge and experience. Listeners and supporters of Pace Performance Podcast are able to obtain an exclusive 20% discount using the code SPORTSMITH20 when registering at playacademy.com forward slash play hyphen labs hyphen Loughborough. And this episode is also sponsored by Kitman Labs. Kitman Labs is sport's first technology company to offer a complete solution that includes innovative analytics and an advanced athlete management platform that is supported by a team of sports, technology and data science experts with over 200 years experience. Kitman Labs is leading the evolution of sports performance, partnering with over 150 elite teams across the NFL, NHL, MLB, AFL, EPL and Championship Rugby. Through advanced statistical analysis, rigorous scientific research and unparalleled industry experience, they've architected the world's only analytics platform that helps sports teams to truly harness their data and uncover the influences behind performance optimization and injury risk. To find out more about Kitman Labs, visit kitmanlabs.com or follow them on social media at Kitman Labs. And now back to the episode with Les. So the stuff that we've been talking about for the last half hour is probably, at least from my perspective, something that you're well known for in, the, in terms of the, the combine prep. But 
something you're going to talk about in Leeds when you come over in March is creating a year-round speed system. Probably, and again, this is only my perspective, probably something that you're less known for, but I'm excited to hear more about it. So what? just to start to kick us off, when you've got an athlete for longer period of time, unlike you're dealing with now, what's your overall philosophy? How do you think about that process? And then we'll dive into, again, assessments, program, and all that kind of stuff. Yeah, I, I think in the beginning, I struggled with this and actually avoided um, making long-term plans just because of how difficult it can be. Um, and as I told you, my first my first real job was in rugby and rugby sevens. And rugby seven seasons are crazy. It's hard. It's You're playing all over the world for, for nine months. And training for rugby, you have to be good at everything, speed, power, strength, endurance, and um, I was making annual plans and things would fall through. And it was, you know, looking back, it was like very inflexible planning and very difficult for me to actually implement with, with it was very unrealistic. Let's put it that way. And when I got into the private world, I never had anybody more than like six weeks, you know, and it was, it was fun. It was like, oh, this is easy. Like shotgun approach, like throw things at them. That's stuck. Okay, cool. Like easy. And just recently I got back into um, more long-term planning. It's like working with Arizona, a couple other schools. And I had to come up with a process for how I identified, um, you know, what our goals were for the year. So mainly what, what I really look at is if I were to split the year up, football is very easy. Like you have an in-season, you have an off-season, you have spring season, you have uh, preseason, you know, you have these phases. So like, my biggest thing is like if we're developing speed at what phase do we want to work with an athlete developing weaknesses versus strengths it's it's the hardest thing to think about it's like do i really want to if, I, if i'm in preseason do i really want to start attacking this athlete's weakness probably not but if i'm in early off season do i want to just have them work on their strengths well you can but if i'm trying to make year-to-year progress like imagine taking a freshman to senior, like how can I how can I make this a multi-year process of developing this athlete? Um, and if you do look at all freshmen is probably have very similar patterns, similar quality, similar mistakes, like how can I improve that year to year? So what I came up with was just like, um, just strengths and weaknesses. Like when do I work on that? So we, what we do is we target the weakness in the early part of the off season. And what we're trying to do is identify um, both physically and technically, where the athlete needs to improve. So is it is is the it's just like the James Wild thing? Is it a physical thing? Or is it a technical thing? And what things can be cleaned up? So that's early off season. Now, when we get to like late off season, we like to do a mix. So there's some of the weaknesses we're improving, but we're also bringing in some of the strengths. So like whatever they're good at, we're we're allowing them to be good at that. Now, when you get to some of the later parts of the off season or even preseason, we like to maintain some of the work on the weakness, but most of it is just keeping them confident, keeping them healthy, um, really working on the strengths. And then we just maintain throughout the season. So what a lot of people think about is like the old periodization model where you condition in the beginning, then you do strength and then you do power and then you do speed. So very similar to Charlie Francis, like the linear periodization model, you keep everything in there at all times, just at different different time, different uh, qualities, like different quantities, sorry. So when I get in season, 
I don't just abandon the speed side. So what we were able to do with Arizona this year is we were able to get 33 new top speeds in season. 33 with a 35% reduction in, in games lost and, and um 35% reduction in games lost from injury and 35% reduction in time loss from injury um, with no time loss for hamstrings. So what was happening was if I look at the trend of the games over the course of the season, players are actually continuing to get faster. Now they're not getting faster at the same rate as early off season when they're working on their weakness and they finally click and they finally get faster, right? But they are actually faster than they were in the early off season, which is, which is crazy to think about. So what we notice is that an athlete's ability to hit a top speed isn't, isn't a quality that's lost over, over the course of the season. But the athlete's ability to hit that top speed within the t- same time frame is lost, which is more of an acceleration-based thing. So what we focused on is maintaining the acceleration-based quality. So the ability for that athlete to accelerate to that same speed in the same amount of time throughout the season. And we did that with resisted runs and targeted resisted runs. So our approach was is pretty simple, is you, you maintain the resisted runs and you, you surf the curve. So you go from heavy, medium, and light at different time periods. Um, and then you allow practice to be fast. You allow practice to have the high velocities. Now, just to give a context, Tyler Owens and John Shaw are some of the best coaches I've ever even encountered. I learned more from them than, than they could have ever learned from me. So like a lot of this was them buying into the process of of making sure that practices were fast, making sure the guys hit top speeds in games, making sure the guys did the, the resisted work and the 1080 work and the technical work and all that. But we what we realized is that we're getting the peak outputs in game, which is what you want. You want to play fast. Like you you leave the game, you, you won and you realize, oh well we also hit new top speeds. Like this this is this is positive. So we're creating an environment where players are allowed to play fast, where they're not coming into the game, where they're cooked. Um, but the resisted running now, most coaches are like, well, you, you don't want to do that because then it, it it might it might pull back from their velocity qualities. But we're microdosing it. We're only doing two to four reps in a session. But just that minimal dosage was allowing the athletes to maintain that ability to be very aggressive on their acceleration and have a lot of power. And then practices started to become faster. So there was times in practice where, hey, like, yeah, run this route, catch the ball, but give me an acceleration after or hit a new, try to hit a new top speed and became a culture of, of guys wanting to run fast. And Arizona became a place where guys wanted to actually run fast. Um, and same with TCU, like, we, you know, I, we, we had the podcast with Kyle Bolton, who's one of my best friends and always talking back and forth about who's faster i'm i'm clearly faster than kyle bolton if you guys were wondering but um and our teams are faster but anyway like they they created at tcu they created a culture of guys running fast um and and strategically placing it within the practice environment where the game and the actual system should allow players to run fast in practice it shouldn't just be a volume based there should be adequate rest periods there should be spacing that's I mean, all, all back to Fergus Connolly and Cam Joss is, um, you know, I don't know if you, you've read those four books they put out, but those four books should be worth a million dollars because they, they lay it out where if you want to practice fast, make the field big enough, wide enough, whatever, reduce the amount of players to allow players to hit top speeds. 
and you start to get those outputs in game, you don't have to always artificially, um, you know, expose players to top speeds. Now you can, if they don't in practice yet, yeah, okay, go and do it. But what we saw was like guys were hitting those speeds in practice, 90, 95%, 98% of their top speed. Okay, cool. Check, box check. And when you have a coach like Jed Fish and you have a coach like um, TCU coach, like that buy in that, yeah, let's play fast. And it makes it very easy. Um, so yeah, it was, it was awesome. Would you say that the introduction and the continuation of the resisted sprints, surfing the curve, like you said about the with the resisted sprints, was the bigger or the biggest key to keeping guys healthy, as well as hitting those those best uh, those top speeds? Yeah, I, I think I think yes, hundred percent. So I think creating an environment for players to run fast. You can't run fast if you're not healthy. Like non-healthy guys don't just go run fast. So if I know you're healthy enough to run fast, then you're probably healthy enough. Um, so if guys can do that consistently and you create an environment around that, you know, both before, after you have the right protocols to keep guys healthy, you're going to keep guys running fast. You're going to keep them healthy. Um, but yeah, I think the resisted sprints were something that helped them stay robust throughout the season um, because they're getting to those top speeds in a safe way. They're accelerating the top speeds. They're not. They're not trying to force themselves into top speeds that they're not accustomed to. There, there are things that, like Kyle talked about on the podcast, like running hot. Like when I was a kid growing up, I could go from playing football in the street to basketball to scraping my knee to riding my bike to running around racing my friends. I don't think I ever warmed up though. I just ran. I was running hot. You know, my nervous system was active and ready. And as an adult, you get more sedentary. You kind of take your time through things. You don't you don't feel it. Um, so when when you're running hot, when you're consistently allowing players to be exposed to high intensity efforts, high magnitude accelerations, high high speed runs, um, it allows those players to to feel like I'm comfortable doing this. Like I, yeah, I can I can turn it up a couple of notches. Like I can play at that speed, um, and they have the freedom to do it. So, yeah, I think that was a major. Now, the the thing that I didn't mention is that strength staff is an unbelievable. The medical staff is unbelievable. Head coach is unbelievable. You have to have a perfect mix. It's not just like, oh, sprint and injuries will reduce. Now, yeah, they might, a couple, you might take away two hamstring injuries. But if your training is stupid and you're doing dumb stuff, like, yeah, you're going you're gonna to say this stuff doesn't work. But it's a, it's a cultural shift to speed. That needs to happen. And when I say speed, I'm saying like, really I'm saying like the highest nervous system, central nervous system thing you could do. Like sprinting is the highest output um, for our nervous system. Like it's fast, it's, it, as fast as we can move is, is through sprinting. So it's it does help the rest of the qualities in your body. Um, but you can't do that without support of like amazing staff. Cool, right. Just a bit of a contrast to the assessment process that you that you outlined for us when it comes to the, the combine um, prep, how does the assessment process look when you've got a little bit longer, when you've got that year, that whatever it is to, to work with a, a group of athletes? I know you're going to go through this in Leeds, but I'd like to get a bit of a, a bit of a teaser. Yeah, not too different, to be honest. You know, it's just the combine one is just you do, you do the assessment stuff and then you attack it fast. Whereas the other one, it's like, okay, that's great, but we're not going to work on that right now. We'll work on it later. But 
like always, you, you know, force velocity profiling, you know, it's kind of, it's not as, uh, I would say, aggressive as a term as it was like on Twitter a couple weeks or a couple it months ago. It was aggressive, like, wasn't it? Yeah, it, it was fun, man. I was ready to, to get some gloves out, but it's definitely, Again. It's definitely <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, it's definitely a good tool. Um, so we, we still, we still use it. Um, and, and now like 1080 has an amazing feature uh, where you could just, you could just hit a button and it like formulates your force velocity profile. And it's a good thing to refer back to if a guy gets injured, here's your original profile or like, Hey, we need to nudge you in this direction. Um, so that's a good tool. So load velocity profiling is second. It's good to find out like, what are the target loads that we're going to use for these athletes? Like same way you do in the weight room. Everybody doesn't do 315 on bench. Some guys do lighter, some guys do heavy, right? Simple concepts that people took way out of proportion, but load velocity profiling. Um, ISO tests, if we can, are always great. Um, force plate jumps. I, I've been diving into a lot more on the force plate side, and I'm not comfortable talking about it because I'm very amateur. <laughs> but but, um, but no, it's, it's been great to look at... Um, how like the signature that we see on the force plate um, and the rebound jump, um, it's been it's been really good on that side, and then the technical profile. So we have them run right now. We're using view motion. Have them run through a twenty meter twenty meter run. Pretty much gives us what we need. Um, if we can, we'll do a max velocity run as well. But we'll look at everything from hip projection distance to touchdown distance to thigh range of motion. To torso, right? I mean, I could spend a whole podcast on it. Does it matter? Not always. So I try to look for the big, the big things. Like Jonas uses projection switching reactivity. Um, I use a little bit different. He's a little bit different at times, but everything kind of comes back. He's not wrong. It comes back to those three things. Like, can you get distance? Can you project? Can you switch really fast? And when you hit the ground, is it an effective ground contact? Now, there's things that can influence that. Like, maybe your torso is too low. Like, it's funny because a lot of our NFL guys, you're like, oh, they probably fly up and start running. No, they all try to throw their head to the ground. Like, it's, they try to go too low. So, okay, cool. Like, let's find out how to progressively rise it. I always have a Frisbee analogy. If I throw a Frisbee flat, it, it'll drop early. But if I throw it a little bit up, it'll slice forward and then come up. All right, so... How do we how do we influence those things? So it's not too different. Um, it's really not too different at all. It just it depends on what we attack where. So we know that we're gonna we're gonna actually attack some technical things like far out from the season. It's like yeah, we can we can attack those things. We can have more technical work, but as we get close, it has to be more physical work and it has to be more specific work and it has to be more uh, geared towards what they're what they're naturally inclined and good at um to really make those things pop um but early our earlier off season we will attack technical we've got a little under 10 minutes to go and i want to men i want to make sure that i mention some of the work that you did with the u.s men's national team because i wasn't aware until i think it someone put it on social media that you'd be you didn't be involved in those with those guys and given the physical outputs that have been shared everywhere when it comes to that that uh, that squad during the World Cup. I'd love to get a bit of an insight into the the work that you were doing with them in, in that kind of in, in that prep period. Yeah. Well, first, it's Dar Darcy Norman and Jordan Webb deserve most of the credit because, like, 
all really all of the credit because they created an environment where they challenged a lot of the the norms in soccer, which is hard because soccer is a very aerobic um, culture where they love to do long runs and 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 timed runs and you know heart rate zones. It's it's a very it's a very aggressive uh, aerobic culture worldwide. Um, it's also a sport that's a very technical uh, culture where they love doing technical work. They love practicing with the ball, doing everything with the ball. Like I remember watching soccer teams in college, like do conditioning with the ball, you know, like it's, that's what it is. Um, so it's very technical and you have a lot of big egos in soccer as well, because the bigger, the bigger the money in a sport, the bigger the ego, like go get the NFL, like there's times where, you know, you, you realize you're not going to win a conversation. You could just say, hey, this, you know, the sky is this color. And you're like, nope, it's not. It's completely different. It's it's not. It's black. It's not blue. And, you know, so it they were able to penetrate that culture and make a massive change in that culture by emphasizing physical qualities. So the, the qualities that we're looking at is the ability to maximally accelerate from uh, from a start, but also from uh, a jog or from a run and, and being able to reaccelerate. Um, they looked at max velocity sprinting. So a lot of the hamstring type injuries were happening when players were asked to maximally you know, hit, hit a velocity. Um, so how can we mitigate some of that? And then also looking at deceleration. We did a lot of deceleration work. Um, so if you look at the game of soccer, there's high, high speed decelerations. I don't know, something Damian Harper talks about a lot. Um, and, and in soccer, you have a lot of 180 turns as well. Like the ball changes direction and it's a fast 180 turn or keeping up with a, with a player. So you have a lot, of, uh, a lot of these movements that aren't necessarily physical um, skills or qualities that, that teams work on. And Darcy... Uh, you know his history being you know overseas being at Roma and like implementing this structure from the youth academy all the way to the senior academy he had a ton of experience and he's not afraid to challenge the norm actually I got a text Darcy he's supposed to come in here in like an hour so oh is he <laughs> yeah 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 give him so, give him my regards because yeah, we, we had we had dinner in Rome when I was on holiday in Rome oh and nice. he, he was at Roma so yeah he's an absolute legend Great. so give, give him my regards great amazing dude so basically Darcy contacted me after I'd worked with Katarina Macario and Katarina is a superstar soccer player that uh, unfortunately recently tore ACL. Um, she'll bounce back. She'll be good, but she's a phen phenomenal player. And he's like, Hey, you know, I just want to come hang out for a couple of days and watch Katarina train. I was like, done. So while he was there with her, he's like, what test do you do? And I was like, well, m most of what I'm doing with her is helping her improve her acceleration. I know she can hit 20 miles per hour, how she gets there is ineffective. So I'm really working on the early part of her acceleration and making that her dominant skill set so that she can accelerate hard, um, you know, in any direction at any time, but also decelerate, change directions. He's like, love it. How do you do it? So he already knew what he wanted. Um, he really knew what he wanted from uh, from me or, or who I, I was lucky to be there at the right time. But um, the goal was to help athletes accelerate better. That's what it started with. So everybody got a force velocity profile. Everybody got a, a load velocity profile on the 1080. Um, and then we were able to, to really bucket guys into what quality we wanted to push. Everyone's, everyone um, in the soccer world knows that soccer guys aren't like big gym guys necessarily. 
Like you don't see soccer players just hanging out at LA Fitness doing curls and stuff. Like you just <laughs> you just don't see it. You know, like it's not a culture based on that. So you, we realized that we could get those force based qualities out of heavy resisted running, and guys liked it because it's it's a couple runs. It's on the field. You're in your soccer boots. It's in right after a warm up. Like you can get big outputs from the guys doing heavy resisted running medium resisted running, light resisted running, and improve these qualities and improve their ability to accelerate to high speeds. Now, a lot of these guys were hitting high speeds in trainings. So there wasn't always a need to go hit a new top speed very infrequently, but using stat sports and using uh, GPS, like Darcy was able to say like, okay, these three players need to do, just run to the run to the 50 and, and hit a high speed. But most of the work was really based around being able to accelerate early or accelerate late or accelerate from a jog or accelerate from a run wasn't much technical wasn't much technical um and then that bled into the deceleration conversation and really just taking damien's articles and sending it to darcy <laughs> like i mean it's like yeah look, look at the early and late phase and build a structure around it and so i think we had buy-in because it, it's simple it, it was effective and it's easy to implement resisted running even if you didn't have a load velocity profile, it just go heavy. Like heavy is heavy, light is light, medium is medium. Um, and the outputs in the game, like I, I don't know um, how much credit like any of us can take because the players are, you know, they're gonna be in a heightened state at the World Cup, but they were effective accelerating, they're effective decelerating, they were physical, um, they had the qualities they were fit um, and they won unwinnable games. So like, what else can you say? You know? Brilliant. Good work. Good work. Right, mate. I'm going to let you go because no doubt you've got an incredible busy day with back to back to back stuff going on. And I'm probably just one in the line uh, of plenty of things going on. So I'm going to let you go, but I really appreciate you giving us an insight into some of the combine stuff and, US men's national team, which is super exciting, um, especially me as a Brit and watching all those games and, and whatnot. Yeah, sorry but, about but, that loss that you guys had against us. <laughs> it's called it's called soccer now. It's not it's no longer yeah, football. Yes, it, <laughs> yeah. it is. No, no, right. I'm gonna let you go, but look forward to meeting you in person in Leeds. And anyone that wants to um get more information on that, it's on the website. Um and we can we can link to that as well, of course. But thanks again, Les. Always a pleasure to chat. Oh, and, thank you. Uh, no, my pleasure. Look forward to speaking to you in person in uh, March. Appreciate it. Talk soon. Speak soon, buddy. Thanks for tuning in to episode 432 of the Pacey Performance Podcast. It was an absolute pleasure to get Les back on the podcast to give us a little bit of a teaser, especially in that second half of the episode, about what he's going to speak about in Leeds at the Sportsmith Speed Conference in March. But as well as thanking Les for coming on the podcast, I want to say a big thanks to Hawking Dynamics, Team Builder, Play, Kitman Labs and Rewire Fitness for sponsoring this episode today. The podcast could not run its current form without these guys, so I really, really do appreciate all their support. Big thanks to you for tuning in. Hopefully see you in Leeds on March 25th and March 26th for the Sportsmith Speed Conference. If you're interested, the link is in the description.